Welcome to Vino 101, episode 37. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. We're ready to talk about some wine, some fire, yeah, some that, climate change. That, that, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so this is the... Uh, this is the the weekend before, or the weekend, I guess this actually is Veterans Day, so yes, any veterans out there, thank you for your service, and uh, you know, here's to all of those that have gone, um, gone to the great beyond in service of yes. their country. What was Veterans Day? It was it was first, what was it called first? It was Armistice Day, This is Day, Armistice right? Day, right? Yeah. Right. I think the Europeans call it Remembrance Day, maybe? I might not have that right, but yeah, I used to remember it was it was signed on the eleventh hour of the eleventh day of the eleventh month. Um, wow. Yeah, to, in World War One, which was you know arguably one of the you know a modern, the first modern horrible war. So modern, yeah. you know, war fighting equipment, basically automated killing with machine guns and tanks and artillery and human wave attacks. Um, Glad I wasn't yeah. alive then. Yeah, me too. I'm the, the, the death count I know, and the, it was incredibly high. I'm not, I'm not sure what it was, but I know it was just uh, some horrific amount. What's really amazing is that we managed to, in such a short period of time, in a span of less than 20 years, get into another war. Yeah, yeah. Well, after World War II, I saw this history thing. This, I think it was a history professor thesis not too long ago probably like two or three years ago where he was talking about and had a lot of it was a like a video presentation it was almost like a documentary his whole premise was we're killing each other on the planet a lot less than we ever have and part of the reason right. is, is these mass wars and the drop-off after world war ii is amazingly significant and it continues to decrease now you wouldn't know yeah. that as we because of the sensationalism of things like terrorist attacks and i don't mean that in any other context that that stuff gets a lot of attention and it typically is not people who are combatants. So we pay attention to it more. Um, but, but those things are very, you know, they get very small, have become very small. Um, there's still tons of atrocities and, you know, killing going on in the world. But I think we lose sight of the fact that we're actually making things better over time than in the past. Um, and let's hope that continues. Um, Amen to that. Yeah. Any veteran will tell you the last thing they ever want to do is go to war. Yeah. It's fun to do exercises. But, Heck yeah. Uh, it's fun to play to army. <laughs> it's a blast <laughs> to play army with sticks, you know, <laughs> and your imagination. When lead starts flying around, it's not so good. Yeah. Yeah. Not so good. Yeah, talk about reality. I always yeah. think of, I probably had mentioned this before, but I always think of um, the Tom Hanks film. Um, uh, about World War II, uh, Saving Private Ryan, yeah, yeah. and that that uh, that horrific first scene yeah. for about thirty minutes. If you could survive that yeah. as just a viewer, that's right, that's right. It's intense. It's intense. That's for yeah. sure. So, All right, so um, on to uh, well, we can start talking about fire since it's prevalent here. We um, we I have. I don't think you've mentioned the fires about uh what happened to us here well personally. yeah i was gonna say that you know we uh you know we live in sonoma county and you know last year roughly around this time i mean in october it happened in october here but uh you know sonoma county suffered some pretty bad wildfires um devastated a lot of uh, a good portion of santa rosa um and sort of the whole north bay area was affected by it I remember waking up, I think it was either, I think it was on the 9th, it might have been the night of the 9th and then the 10th, I'm waking up on the 10th and it looked like nuclear winter on my at my my house. My entire driveway and cars were covered with ash, it was all gray, ash was still coming from the sky. It was pretty, it was, um, it was scary and it moved so fast. And these folks in, uh, in, in a town called Paradise, which is to the northeast of us, suffered a similar fate not too many days ago. Uh, where their town basically just burned to the ground. And um, I think that was Thursday of last week. But, um, yeah, and we're we're here in Sonoma County, depending on how the winds are going, um, we're uh, getting the effects. So we're getting a lot of ash and um, a lot of smoke 
it's not pleasant. Uh, plus, Southern California is suffering dramatically too. I think down in your Malibu. Um, yep. So, and this all relates to wine because a lot of these places, uh, the weather patterns either either affect the wine, um, uh, the the grapes themselves, or they affect the production facilities. Um, there were a couple of wineries that burned to the ground in Sonoma County. Um, I, I don't know about Southern California, but you know Malibu. You start getting up to Malibu, and then into Santa Barbara. That's all you know, premier wine country, um, for the, for, for California. So I don't know. It, it seems I haven't really, uh, and maybe, you know, Al, I mean, I haven't really dug in, but I don't know, um, what the effects will be on, uh, this current vintage of wine or the vintage from last year, um, with regard to the smoke. I seem, I, the handful of wine people that I know don't seem to have had an issue with it. Um, Except for one, you know, the folks I know at Paradise Ridge where their winery basically just burned to the ground. Um, their grapes didn't go up, though, which was really, it literally jumped like some of the estate vineyards um, at Paradise. It it literally, like, burned the tasting room down, and then it hopped, it literally hopped the hill, down the hill, and skipped an entire block of vines, and then, yeah. you know, hit the, hit the production facility. And it's, you know, they're thankful that it occurred like that and they didn't really lose the means to make their fruit or grow their fruit, I should say. Well, I'm, I'm really not sure, uh, you know, whenever you bring up the subject of climate change, you know, you're, you've got the red camp and you got the blue camp and you got the camps in between. Um, I remember when I moved out to this area, I've lived here over 30 years, and it was fairly typical in September, it would start raining. And uh, it would rain for four or five days. Then uh, it would clear up for maybe a day or two. And then it would start raining for another four or five days. Um, back in those days, it was fairly frequent that we would actually have these horrific floods because it rained so much. That all seems to have turned of recent and now we have less rain and we really don't have a whole bunch of rain in the fall, which is, is what's becoming the problem. The problem with us with these fires is not so much that there is a fire, it's how quickly the fire moves because of the winds. And I don't know if the wind is a new thing. I don't remember the winds being like that either, but uh, in the case of the fire that we had here in Santa Rosa that started over in Napa Valley, that all happened, that fire started burning there around, I don't know, I want to say around 9, 30, 10. And by 4 or 5 o'clock that morning, it had gone over the hill and burned all of that area in Coffee Park. So, you know, in a four, five, six-hour period, the fire moved maybe, I don't know, what, 15, 20 miles you yeah. just burned everything back yeah. Yeah. really, really quickly. Yeah. So people don't have an opportunity even. It's not a, hey, I'm going to try to you know, stand my ground and save my place and gather up some stuff. You're literally running for your life. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, people, the people, that the first responders, they're just trying to save people and get people out as quickly as possible. There's really no firefighting going on at that point. You can't. It mo it's moving so fast that you can't do anything. And and there's great videos, great videos in terms of showing you how dramatic this stuff is and how fast it moves. There's a there was a hospital that was threatened in Santa Rosa, um, Southern Memorial Hospital, which is close to 101. And um, there was also a Kaiser Hospital that's not too far north of there that was also uh, threatened by fire. They're both sort of along this. Uh, this road called Mark West Springs Road, which runs uh, from the west, it runs east-west, kind of over the Maya Camus. I'm pretty sure it's the Maya Camus Mountains. So what what Al's talking about here is like a it it's not a I mean it's a hill in the context. It's around 2,000 feet at some yeah. of its at some of its peak. So and it's you know it's not a uh, it's not a flat straight road. So there's you know it's effectively a mountain range, coastal little coastal mountain range, and. Um, 
you know, as you were talking about, that fire started over in the Calistoga area and burned in a matter of hours rapidly across just this huge swath of ground over into Santa Rosa and it's just expanded from there. The footage at, at this hospital, um, they have their security cameras on and it's all time-lapsed and you can literally watch the fire come and it just, it literally looks like a dragon. It looks like it's just spewing ash and cinders. It literally likes it's breathing fire. And you watch this tree that basically it's getting hit by embers. And in a, I think it's like a period of a half an hour, the tree basically just explodes with fire. It's craziest thing. One of the craziest things I've ever seen. It gives you an idea of how fast. Plus, it's got to be just devastating to the first responders because they feel responsible for not only trying to control the fire and, you know, save structures, but, you know, having to put them in a position where they're just, it's all in recovery, just trying to get people out. is just, and there's a great video of the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department where they're just running around trying to rescue people. And it's, it's, um, um, it's crazy just how, I mean, it's just what the guy's driving down Mark West Springs road, which I'm sure you've been on too, Al, and it's just wall to wall fire. You can't see the road. It's just fire. It's fire and smoke yeah. everywhere. Um, it's it's got to be just incredibly scary if you're trying to get out of there. Yeah. Um, the 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 most amazing part to me is when you drive up Santa Rosa. You look to the right and you see the hill that's that's going up um, towards Fountain Grove. When you look at the, you know, one of the reasons that the fires didn't um, hit a whole bunch of wineries is because the vineyards themselves act as fire breaks. Um, you've got, you know, there's just not much, there's just not much fuel there. Right. So the fire goes somewhere else yep. and it might sense the edge of where the vineyards are and, but it moves and goes somewhere else or it goes over it. Yep. It hops. When you see that freeway, that freeway is, I think it's, it's six lanes. Yeah. It's a six lane highway where it jumps. That fire hopped that six lane highway and just blew right through it and then it burned burned yeah and then hit a fairly high density um housing area coffee park it just it it looked it literally looked like a bomb went off the next day in coffee park i mean it was like rubbleized it was amazing in the terms of destruction and how fast um plus you know kind of to your point it gives you an idea how fast how how fast the winds were blowing that it was able to blow enough fire even with the wind blowing that hard to blow it across that huge break and then set everything you know basically set an entire sub subdivision on fire and burn it to the ground um it was I, i i also remember the video the next morning where um one of the local tv stations had a I want to say it was like an eight by eight or a six by six foot post that was supporting a guard railing. That post was on fire. It was on, it was on like, you know, the metal, you know, the metal was like warming up. I was crazy. Um, And this continued. I mean, this whole pattern continued. So we had horrible fires in Mendocino County this summer. Um, A lot of the Mendocino National Forest was on fire. Um, And now we've got these fires in Chico and then, you know, Malibu and, and uh, Southern California, Thousand Oaks, where, you know, they had that horrible, tragic shooting incident last week. That's now on fire. And um, California's definitely been hard hit. We have a mutual friend who uh, used to be in the wine business, is now a forester. And um, yes. he was telling, we've been, I've talked to him about this, and um, my family's heritage is actually in this business. They used to be foresters many, many, many generations ago in Europe. Um, and our family's history is they would be appalled at the way that we keep um, we keep the forest today. And yeah. specifically what they mean by that is we're not cleaning up the fuel that's in the forest um, that ignites rapidly. And when you have this type of fuel buildup, you can easily get these types of catastrophic fires. And what's funny talking to our forestry friend is, well, we've now scientifically proven that that's true. So it's okay to go like do controlled burns and, um, you know, do selective logging to clear out dead wood, you know, generations ago, environmentally, that wasn't okay. We all thought it was, you know, the right thing to do to kind of leave the forest in its natural state. But 
you know, as we learn through history, you know, the native peoples, you know, the first peoples <laughs> routinely burned, burned areas to, for agriculture. They knew it yeah. was, you know, they knew it, 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 uh, you know, it helped the forest regenerate. And if you think about it, it makes stuff that it, you know, burning stuff basically makes chemicals that help everything regrow plus new, new growth. That's just, that can survive that fire and trees can survive that fire. Even if they're pretty small, allows them enough light to be able to grow. So you actually have a pretty healthy forest. Um, maybe over time we'll start doing more of these controlled burns and see some of these, um, uh, forest practices will continue to um, change based on the science that they have, and hopefully that will lead to less and less fire. Um, you know, I'm, we're certainly, I'm all for yeah, we're certainly creating a lot of carbon right now. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all for for less fires. I mean, when you've got to stay inside your house all day because yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cost. Yeah, and there's the schools. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I saw an article in the Press Democrat, the local paper here, about how fire is fire. You know, is smoke, you know, bad air quality the new, you know, the new um, snow day. Yeah, and continuing yeah. on that thread of climate change, the um, I was in China probably three years ago in Shanghai, and I woke up on Friday morning here looking out the window and i'm like wow it looks like shanghai here the visibility the haze it was and and then i saw a news report later that basically said the air quality on friday in the bay area was like beijing um oh geez so that the 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 chinese live in that continually um the sort of science around this is that people don't really start to care about environmental regulation as a body of people until the their share of GDP is about $5,000 a year. I think the Chinese are about 2500 per capita right now, mm-hmm. GDP. So, you know, their leaders are definitely trying to, you know, um, they have a huge program trying to convert a lot of, basically trying to implement environmental laws. But, you know, it's, when you have a portion of the population that's, you know, where are you going to spend your money? You got to feed them feed people because yes. um, you know hungry people tend to start stealing things and killing each other over food that's bad yeah um, i mean it gets keep, you know people calm. yeah well i mean people don't want to talk about this stuff but this is true i mean if you're not you know you're gonna go hunting if you're hungry um and if somebody's got stuff that you need and you're a dire you're gonna take it from them like you know basic needs it's um but the chinese are still putting a lot of coal plants online i don't know how modern they are if they're you know clean if there's such a thing as clean coal i don't know um we'll have to see about that so let me ask you this bill what do you think the effects of these fires are on um on vintners in this area you know i don't i don't know i i was sort of alluding that earlier that uh, the vintners that i've talked to don't you know they don't they're concerned about it because you know, they grow an agricultural product that will have some effect. I, I certainly haven't heard anybody say, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's affected my business or my product, but I haven't done a lot of reading about it. So I'm in no way, shape or form really, you know, I don't really, I, I don't know enough to really make a call. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the smoke, you know, the 2018 smoky, smoky wine. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, let's go back to let's go back to 2017 when we had the fire here. You know, the, the word on the street was, you know, they, they said, well, you know, 90 percent of the grapes have already been harvested. And, uh, you know, you know, we could debate whether that's true or not. But the fact of the matter is there were a fair number of grapes that were still out on the on the vines when this fire and this this smoke smoky haze that we had for shoot, maybe a couple weeks was around. Um, mainly the grapes that were on the vines were, there were a lot of grapes in Napa County that were still on the vine, i.e. Uh, hillside grapes. Yep. And yeah. um, most of them were Cabernet. There was a lot of Cabernet that was still out. And it was the high-end stuff because usually they wait and they kind of wait and try to get um, get the long hang time. 
and have them as ripe as possible. Uh, a lot of those growers, I, I call them greedy growers, they got caught and they got uh, they got smoke tainted grapes, which is a, a whole nother, you know, how much smoke tain is is what? You know, it's one of those things you can you can actually pick the grapes, you can crush them, you can make the wine and everything could taste fine. And then as the wine ages, those flavors of uh, that ashtray flavor shows up later on in the wine. So there's still a lot of, yeah, it's like you're licking an ashtray. <laughs> just like ashtray flavors. It's, so I, I don't mean, even know if you'd call that a flavor, but I'm sure it is. Yeah. So it, it's, and I, I can't say that I've licked an ashtray, but I, I could still kind of pretty much have a pretty good idea what that would be like, even without actually doing it. Yeah. If you've ever been to a hotel that was converted from smoking to non-smoking and got a room that had recently been, or even if it hadn't sort of been like completely remodeled, like just repainted over, you yeah. will you will know. Walk into a casino that doesn't have mm. good filtration. You, yeah. you will know what the ashtray flavor is. So that's, that's obviously a concern for, for people that are growing um, grapes that uh, usually harvested towards the end of the season. Um, another concern is that, as you recall, during this period, there was a lot of places that didn't have power. Yeah. So when you're making wine, one of the things that you use, you use a lot of power when you're making wine. Yeah. Um, for all of the processes that are involved. And also some of these, a fair number of these wineries, not only did they have power, but they weren't even allowed to get to the areas where the wineries were for several days. So if you had tanks of wine that were uh, going through a process of fermenting or needed to be racked, all of those things had to be put on hold until you were allowed to actually go back to the winery. So obviously this could, you know, this compromises because typically with wine, it's like cooking. You have something on the stove and you're braising it or whatever. You know, you have to constantly watch it as it goes through its process. So those are some things, um, you know, uh, I say early harvested wines are, are going to be all right. Um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, buyer beware with probably some of the uh, uh, the later harvested wines during that period. Right. Um this year, we're having a big problem up north in um, Mendocino. Mendocino's been, oh, man, they've been, been pounded a couple of times yeah. with some horrific fires. I mean, the fire. And uh, yeah. was the fire this year? Was it, uh, I want to say it was June, July. Is that about yeah. right? Yeah. That's when they had the fire up there, and it was we got all the smoke from that also. So it was July. Uh, we were actually, um, we had actually taken a trip um this year um to, into mendocino county there's a there's a couple great campgrounds up there sort of in the mendocino national forest and some on a lake and we weren't it i it was early july and we didn't or sorry early june we didn't get any of that it was sort of after we came back so it's sort of mid you know late june early july but boy that that fire burned and grew for a long time Mm-hmm. sort of in and around Lake Mendocino and that whole, and then up into the Mendocino forest in there, Covalo and that whole area, it was bad. Um, a lot, a lot of fire. Um, and I think there are some wineries that got pretty hit hard. Um, in and around Hopland, maybe? Yeah, it's, it was a kind of a, a pretty much a big deal. So what's happening now is... Um, or what happened this past vintage for uh, wineries up in that area, a lot of the larger uh, companies, they canceled their grape contracts. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've grown these grapes all year and uh, you pull up in your, in your truck with, you know, you got your 15 tons of grapes of your Pinot Noir or whatever that you, and you're getting ready to drop it off at the winery and they do a quick test and then say, Hey, um, we're not accepting these grapes. Yeah. So these grapes, uh, these contracts are being are being canceled or have been canceled. So it's caused a big uh, a big hullabaloo. Um, a lot of the grape growers feel that uh, 2018 is a very good year actually out here in uh, California as far as the vintage goes. Um, very mild weather, 
We didn't have any horrific events. This is the first year I can remember that we didn't have um, a, a, a hot as hell autumn blast, you know, at the last. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't have any big heat waves. It was not nice and mild. There was uh, no significant crazy rain events. Um, it did rain but, a little bit. That one, there was like one day. It was good. There's, yeah. The cores were like, yeah, we could use a little it, rain. It was like it was like perfectly timed. You know, it's kind of like you were talking about. I mean, it wasn't massive volume of rain, but I mean, it kind of rained all day, kind of yeah. for twenty four hours. So it was like a good, seemed like a good rain. Uh, a lot of people had already started to harvest already, if I not, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So the crop is the crop is a good size. It's a it's a bumper crop, and. Um, it looks like, uh, I mean, some of the growers, I've heard rumblings, the growers are saying, well, you know, these wineries are getting out of the contracts because they got too many grapes already. And the wineries are saying, hey, you know, we're not going to make, uh, we got to have good quality grapes. If we think this is going to turn into something that's not good, then we can't put that out. We can't put our label on it. So we're not going to go through processing it. So that's going on in Mendocino. It's caused a big deal. Um that's a pretty big deal. I mean, think of all the costs that go into farming all year, and then you don't get paid. If you don't have crop insurance, that crushes you. Yeah. It cr crushes your operation. So this is one of those things where the vintners and the farmers are going to have to work together. This climate change, they're going to have to figure out what to do because it doesn't look like these fires are going to be changing. It seems like this is a new uh, – this may be a new normal for a while until we change our ways of uh, managing um, – the fuel that's around. Yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. Yeah. That, that, um, yeah. And there were horrible fires this, uh, this summer in, in uh, Yosemite too. There were, yes. I remember, yes. you know, <laughs> California's literally burning. Well, it's like, you know, not to belabor the point, but I remember even, you know, going back to when I moved out here, I remember uh, I moved out here and we, we drove and we had a trailer with all our goods in it all of our possessions in this U-Haul trailer. And as we're driving from Southern California up to Northern California, uh, looking at the hills to the right on Pacific uh, Pacific Coast Highway, looking to the right, everything was on fire. This is nothing new. <laughs> this yeah. is just what, you know. Yeah. I mean, California is part of living in California. Yeah. You know, we don't have tornadoes and uh, hurricanes, but we have, uh, you know, fires and earthquakes. So, you know, every place has got some, you know, some kind of bad weather that can really just take everything south in a, in a horrible way. That's yeah, to sure. seize your point, I was I was in the office the other day and I was like, it was smoky. And I was like, man, I'm sick and tired of the smoke. I'm, I think I'm going to move. I'm ready to move somewhere else. And one of the guys in the office goes, well, where are you going to move to? Yeah, I mean, where are you going? Where are you gonna go? <laughs> I mean, you go, yeah, you're gonna have some type of uh, horrific uh, weather event, you know? Yeah, I mean, I it was move to Houston. Yeah, floods. I don't want to move to Louisiana. Floods. Floods. Um, hurricane. Um, yeah, really, really hot, really humid. I mean, you know, it was smoky here yesterday, but it was still in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm I not... mean, you know, it's not like, it. you know, it's winter. I mean, it is, but, you know, not like here. Anyway. So uh, if you're going to be out there buying wine, uh, the 2017s, uh, you might want to <laughs> catch a careful eye. You know, taste, don't buy a whole bunch. Hey, um, have you had any, um, I, God, we got together. Have you had any, uh, good beers lately? Um, you know, I, yes, yes, for sure. Um, so we, you know, one of the things that Sonoma County is known for is wine. It's also becoming a very, um, a region noted for its, for its breweries. Um, you know, grand, I, I guess, a sort of leader of the pack there is Russian River who's had an award winning I think top top five or top ten beer um, forever Pliny the Pliny the Younger and then Pliny I guess they call it the Elder I know it just as Pliny so if you're ever in the area and you like beer you have to go have that IPA um, 
Younger is a limited release. It's only done a couple of times a year, but I think most people know about that. Um, there are um, a, a beer that I have um, uh, that I like a lot is a Pilsner that's brewed in uh, Sacramento. I guess Davis actually by Sudwerk, but it's a uh, it's a German Pilsner and it's and it's beard. It's called um, I think the People's Pilsner. You said Sudwerks. It's Sudwerks, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like their beers. This thing is a. Um, it uses all um, German uh, Weimerman uh, Pilsner malt, mm-hmm. and it's um, very traditional sort of northern um, German Pilsner beer. I really like this beer for a couple of reasons. One, I like the Pilsner taste. I like its um, I like its flavor from the malt and the effervescence it's given off. It's also pretty low in alcohol. It's only five three which is something that I, that I really appreciate. Um, this brewery has been around since 89, um, and it's got a 35 IBU for those of you that understand what, what the uh, bitterness unit means. Mm -hmm. Um, really like this beer. Um, I don't, uh, the other beer that I really like is brewed by a brewery called Napa Smith. Now Napa Smith has its, uh, uh, its roots all the way back to the craft brewing the most modern craft brewing resurgence in California, the guys from New Albion um, that, you know, effectively, you know, were the uh, pro- progenitors of um, Anchor. Um, I think the brewer that was involved there is also brewing at Napa Smith. He's a New Albion guy. These guys are all sort of um, um, instrumental in sort of reviving craft brewing and home brewing in northern at least that i know of in california and of course that's probably expanded all over they make a pilsner called napa smith pilsner they make it in pint cans this uh people's pilsner is also a canned beer um Mm -hmm. i become a big fan of canned beer because of its ability to preserve the beer itself um there's less oxygen in the can it doesn't get any light in it so once you open it it's pretty fresh um for those of you that aren't aren't regular beer drinkers you want to drink as fresh beer as possible which is why if there's a local brewery go support your local brewery or brew pub that's making beer um and uh, go ask those folks and tell them what the types of things that you like to drink and they'll recommend beers and you'll get fresh beer and it'll taste orders of magnitude better um, a good experiment for people to do around beer is to get um a canned version of the beer that they like and a bottle version and let it sit around for a couple of days and then try it, mm-hmm. you will notice the difference. And it's, it's dramatic. It's, it's noticeable. Um, the other beer, it is a bottle that, um, 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 it's a bottle beer that I've gotten. It's also a pint, uh, a pint beer. It's called crystal vice beer. So this is from a brewery in Germany, um, called Weinstein, uh, Fahner. um, it's a pretty, you'll see it, but it's a crystal wheat beer. So they're using a very um, specialized type of wheat here, a very specific type of, of, uh, uh, of Love wheat, the label. wheat to brew the beer. Yeah, it's got a very Germanic label to it. I'll put all these up, but this is a, a Bavarian style wheat beer brewed with a, um, and I'll put this, uh, I'll put this on the site too. It's also 5.4. Um, it's also a beer brewed under the German beer purity law called Reinheitsgebot. Uh, the reason that's important is the Germans, when they wrote that law, said beer can only contain certain things, and the the purity standards all relate to the cleanliness of the brewery and the process. And in any of these processes, any of these types of, you know, fermentations, or anytime you make type any type of food, really, the cleaner you are, the better your product is ultimately going to be. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, without killing all the things that make the process happen, but um, those are some beers I've had recently that I that I really like. But I could prattle on for quite a while about uh, uh, beers that I've that I've had. Um, we have a great local um, to Al and I brewery that I like a lot. Um, they primarily make ales. Um, things I was just talking about were um, uh, lagers, and the um, it's called a Crooked Goat Brewing. They make a grapefruit IPA that they call an I. It's called a grapefruit Ibex. Ibex tends to be their, it was sort of their flagship IPA. Um, 
I just think they do a really nice job of balancing the fruit flavoring in there. Um, so you get a really, really nice hint of grapefruit in that. And of course, the good, uh, you know, the hoppiness from the IPA, it blends well with. And it seems to have a very nice balance to it. Um, it's a little hotter than I like for a beer. But, you know, that being said, it's just, you know, it's a beer you savor, um, you know, uh, as opposed to drink, if that makes sense. Yeah, all, all of their beers are uh, a little on the hot side there. Yep. Kind of, but they, yep. they, you know, they they got a pretty good following, it seems. Yeah, they do. I think they did. I think they started out as a group of friends that were brewing. And then, you know, they started as they started to make more and more beer. I think they couldn't drink it all. So they, you know, because they were scaling up. They're like, wow, we can do this. You know, we, you know, I can do this in a five gallon, you know, uh, carboy. But, you know, let's see if we can make, you know, let's have a let's have a release party and make, you know, 30 gallons. Yeah. Um, so they had a built-in sort of following, and uh, there are there are many breweries in. I've noticed in the breweries that I've been in that have gone sort of from this. I was doing this as a hobby, and now I'm doing this full time. It sort of follows the pattern of I started. I brewed a little bit. I really liked it. I brewed more. Then I started brewing a whole lot. Then I started going to competitions. I started winning competitions. And then that just, you know, is sort of a feedback loop there of like, wow, I think I know what I'm doing. Um, it's yeah. not hard to scale brewing. Um, it's It really isn't. I, it's like a lot of things that, you know, if the recipe can scale and the ingredients scale, you're going to be able to make a lot of it. And um, you don't have to have um, a ton of sophisticated equipment to do it. Um, and in fact, the equipment really comes in when you're trying to scale around automation just to make more and more. But, you know, if you're using a manual process, you can you can scale this. So, you know, it, making that transition from sort of a hobby into a business, there's a lot of things that can give you feedback along the way um, that will, you know, give you an idea of like, wow, I can probably make a business out of this. So back to the Crooked Goat, they had, you know, been you know, going to competitions, as I understand it, um, and, you know, scaling up what they were doing. And finally, they're like, wow, I think we should just do this full time. They found a, I think they got a good deal on the space in the Barlow, um, which is sort of a art uh, maker, maker, arts, craft, food space where we live. And uh, they just brought their audience with them. You know, it's a lot like bands these days. You know, you don't have to be a superstar um you know, band to make a living at it. You just got to tour all the time. <laughs> got a tour. You got to have a, a, the faithful yeah. following you around. Yeah. And you got to, you it's know, you got to talk to them. It's the Grateful Dead model. I, there's a, in the, in the, um, in the software sort of, you know, the 21st century software sort of computing business, there's a, um, and I don't know if he was a media person. I can't remember, but I'll look it up. But there, there, somebody wrote an article called A Thousand True Fans. And it's really um, about, you know, if you can find one person that really likes your stuff, there's probably a thousand of them like them at a minimum, and you can build mm -hmm. a base of business off of that. You just have to talk to them all the time. Yeah. You've got to I feed agree. them all the time. Um, and that's, you know, that can be full-time work. Um, and then, you know, just add on what you're doing. Well, your beer, you got to... If you look at Crooked Goat, Goat's um, Instagram page or social stuff, it's great. Every day there's some pithy saying about beer um or something cool and interesting that makes you want to either be a crooked goat i'm getting thirsty talking about it um yeah um, <laughs> I'll i like, down, that, it's, I'll probably, I like that it's close to the theater so when we go down there if we're gonna go catch a movie it's like well let's stop in the stop at the goat real quick yeah have a have a have a have a <laughs> pint have a pint if the movie it's gonna be pretty good after that my point movie will be better yeah well yeah for sure um, <laughs> a beer can make a lot better um the um I, I think the point though of all of this is we have a local brewery they're they're brewing uh definitely quality beer um it's accessible to a lot of things that we do in town uh, so I, I i think that's happening more and more all over the united states so if you really want a good beer experience go go find those places and go have them um, as opposed to going down and buying a can of um, you know these mass-produced beers uh, a good example is 
um, there's a, an, is it New Belgium? The guys that brew uh, Blue Moon. They used to be a craft brewing company. They got bought out by a big brewery. Um, and it, it's just like the wine business and the beer business. Big to small means your access to distribution and shelf space on stores and the ability to feed that channel. Um, so you can find a, and oftentimes in, in, um, in local small you know, in your local brewery, a beer that is similar to this big craft beer. So, like, if I go down to the go today, there's likely some type of beer similar to that um, um, shock top that they make that, you know, you can taste the difference and find out, you know, what is the difference between sort of this mass-produced beer and, you know, your local brew beer. Plus, if you talk to the, you know, the bartender or the beer tender down there, they might turn you on to something that you've never um, you know, you never even thought of before and they can talk to you That's about true. it. They could talk to you about, Oh, you like that beer? Let me let you try this beer. And then, That's right. And then if you're really smart, you can invest in a thing called a growler, <laughs> which, is just a, <laughs> which is the big jug. And then you can take it home. Um, in fact, we have a pressurized growler, um, that we can, that we can bring home and actually put any of the beer that we get in from our brewery and pressurize it in our own growler so it it stays fresh oh how cool i love the um the little canner that they have at uh at yeah. the crooked boat they're called That's... crowlers um yeah so they'll um you know it's kind of funny i can't remember what rap song sings about having their 32 ounce in hand but the crowlers are the crowlers are 32 ounce cans and again, this is all about sort of keeping the beer fresh. The minute you pop that top, the beer starts to degrade in terms of its freshness and its quality. It's a live product. So you open it, it starts to oxidize, and it, it basically starts to tear the beer down. Um, so you want to try to keep that fresh. And that's what's great about the cans is it keeps everything completely sealed until you're ready to drink that thing. Plus, they don't break when you drop them um, often, so they're pretty durable and you can carry them around. Um, and keep them cold. Yeah, but you um, want to you, you get those cans home. You want to drink them up. You don't want to be storing them. Yeah, <laughs> they're not to store. And and it, you know, like thirty two <laughs> ounces is like hard. Like you know, thirty two ounces of like a seven two beer. Yes. You're, yeah. You're, you know, uh... it's enough for two, and it's it like it's kind of enough for four. You know it's a I mean? it's a perfect uh, it's a perfect way to to have uh, to get one of those and you could you could split it with your spouse and yeah. have your pizza and yeah, I mean, it's perfect yeah um along those hey, lines what? Well, i was gonna say along those lines too i'm seeing more and more of um tap wine and uh wine sort of served like this um let's just say wine and alternative packaging and alternative delivery methods um more and more people kegging wine and sort of serving yeah. it off the tap yeah, well, let me let me circle back to that because yeah. I got a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. Go I want to ask you real quick, um, what's going on with seismic brewing? Because when I drive drive into town, I look on the right, and I know that they have picked a spot out there, but it's been there's nothing going on. You know anything about when they're going to move into town? Well, so they're under construction. There's a big uh, their general contractor has a big sign out there now. And it's oh, all, okay. and it's I all, I don't know the last time you've been down, down there, but it's all, um, the, uh, parking lot that you would get to that's behind that building is all mm-hmm. walled off. You can't get in there right now. And in fact, there's even a construction trailer down there, like a little mobile office trailer. So they're, they're building out, I guess. Okay. Well, that'll be a, that'll be a nice addition. For, yeah. So uh... we'll have three breweries now in uh, Barlow when that's completed seismic. Uh, the goat, crooked goat, and then Wood Four. I'm not a huge fan of uh, sour beer, but Wood Four is a sour beer. They're a, that, that is their specialty, and um, evidently people make a pilgrimage there. Um, so that's one nice thing about coming to visit our area. Like you can come to either Santa Rosa or a town like Sebastopol, or even Petaluma. Petaluma has Lagunitas. They also have um, an outpost of a brewery in Santa Rosa called Hen House. They have a I don't know if you've been to the Palace of Barrels. <laughs> it's their Hen House's brewery um, um, and tap room. I think they do some brewing there. Um, it's called the Palace of Barrels. It looks like their barrel storage. Um, yeah, it's right across the street from, from uh, Lagunitas. Lagunitas. Right? 
Yeah. Right. And then right down the road is another brewer I really like called 101 North. Um, they make one of my favorite IPAs called Heroin. It's not Heroin the drug, but Heroin is hero, Heroin, Heroin. Okay. Um, they also make a um, Blue Agave Pale Ale. Um, that's really amazing beer. Um, pale Ale is one of my favorite styles. It's sort of that in-between style get a little lager mm -hmm. little yep. ale so you know you get some of that hoppiness but not too much one of my favorite beer styles but uh um you can come to these areas and you can do a a weekend um uh, out you can do a beer a day of beer tasting i think we have over 33 active breweries in the county right now and um a day of wine tasting and of course all of that is attract world-class food so you can eat everything from world-class pizza to high-end gourmet dining from celebrity chefs, um, all within probably like a, uh, uh, 15 to 20 minute drive, um, to any place that you want to go just in Sonoma County. That doesn't mention going over the hill or around the hill to, to Napa, which has, which has similar stuff too. So if you'd like to eat and drink, I highly recommend this area. Well, back to what I was saying about my roommates, uh, or my, my um, excuse me, my workmates uh, in the office the other day. You know, where would I move to? I guess I'm not moving. I don't, I don't know where <laughs> I'm going. Well, there, you know, but but that said, there's a as we pointed out in Vino 101, wines made all over the United States, and I um, we haven't talked about that in a long time, but I see more and more of it, more and more places. Um, growing grapes and making wine and of course the beer thing doesn't necessarily require the same weather that um, wine does so I, you know there's a lot of this going on um, and it really doesn't I mean you know you can make wine and beer without having to have a full up production facility I mean you make beer in your garage it's not hard a lot of people well, out can, there will help you you can make wine in your garage too you just you gotta sure have big grapes Yep. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Quality ingredient. So, number one thing in in beer, water. Water and uh, well, with anything where you're making stuff, you're making making pro food products. Cleanliness is a big deal. Cleanliness and water. Pizza dough, water. Yeah. You want to change the taste, the way your dough tastes, change the composition of your water. Get some RO water, put some stuff in it to change it, and you will have a different. Make it with the water out of your tap, and then. Use RO water and put some additives in it. Your dough will taste different, very different. Absolutely. So, what's uh, have you had any uh, decent uh, Pinot Noir lately? Um, so we um, we it, yes, the, the short answer is yes. So um, there's uh, Pinot from Small Vines, which is a a vintner here in Sebastopol, and also Horse and Plow, which is another Sebastopol vintner. Um, yep. We have had their Pinots you know, consistently for the last couple of years, and they're just, you know, really world-class world class wines. The Both those vintners have access to superb fruit, and in the case of small vines, most of it's a state that they, they bottle and sell under their small vines label. So, um, you know, it's, um, and in fact, small vines uses a, um, um, a, a vineyard technique that's um, increases the density of the vines um, and increases the yield um, without uh, you know without using as many resources. So um, small vines waters their wines waters their vines twice a year and only twice a year. So wow. yeah, a lot of biodynamic organic farming practices. But again, to your point. And I could put in the show notes the ones that we've tried. So if you find any of those locally, they're probably hard to find unless you have a high-end wine store that has a relationship with them. But you can go online and uh, obviously get them get them direct uh, direct uh, from there. So I'll put a couple recommendations in the show notes of things that we've liked. How about you? Ex excellent. Well, I've uh, I've had um, I haven't had any Pinot Noir. That's why I asked you that yeah. question. <laughs> sure. I haven't had a whole bunch of it. I've tasted a few here and there, but I've had a lot of wines lately. I'm sure. And what you, what are you drinking that you like? Um, recently, uh, one of my favorites. Uh, it's almost like a, I hit the Wayback Machine. This is this wine's called uh, Tre Picos. Um, it's from the area of uh, Borso. Mm -hmm. It's 
So it's a Spanish red. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's, it's made from, it's all Grenache. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good value. You know, it's, it's done. Here's, here's the label. You've yeah. probably seen this label before. Sure. I've had, so and I've, I've probably had that wine, but different vintage. Yeah. The region, the region's uh camp of the Borgia. Um, it's been around for a while and why I call it the way back machine is cause I haven't had it in a long time. They haven't really changed the label, but they did put a special embossing. They've got, uh, you know, it looks like some guy with the shield on the horse, you know, they kind of class up the label, the bottle itself a little bit, but it's uh it's standard ganache that they uh, ferment in a tank. It's tank fermented. And then it spends about uh, five months in new French Oak. So it's got, that uh you know it's um it, you definitely get the, the french oak right off the bat when you when you taste it so it's really concentrated uh ripe red fruits um you get a little leather and uh you get lots of vanilla and it's hard to not drink the whole bottle quite frankly it's it's pretty it's pretty tasty my wife loves it what's the alcohol on it that's pretty high. The alcohol's fifteen uh, percent, so yeah, it's not a it's not a light wine, but uh, it's uh, I I really enjoyed it, and it's like it's it reminded me of you know sometimes uh, you'll drink a wine you really like it, you'll have it you know over the course of the year maybe a year and a half, and then you're kind of just like for whatever reason you go away from that label and you start drinking other things, and then one day you know you're in the store and you see it and go I haven't tried that in a while and you try it out. And I've done that with a few. This is one of the bottles I've done it with. And also, um, there's a silver label, um, uh, Mouvedra, which is made by, um, God, what's the name of it? Uh, I can't think of the name right now, but it's the same thing. It's like, I haven't tried that in a while. I'll give it a try. And, you know, interestingly enough, the wine is actually better than I remember it. So, so that's one of the wines I've tried. And what's the, um, is that a good price point on that thing? Uh, I think it was twelve bucks. I was gonna thirteen. Bucks. I was gonna say it was a below fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's I mean that's a great that's great a, price point. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the house wine that we're drinking right now is by De Las, the House of De Las. So um, familiar theme here. Uh, first I was in um, Spain with the Tre Picos, and now we're uh, going over to uh, France with the De Las. This is a Cote de Rhone, and uh, this one's a 2015. I don't know if this is available anymore. It may be, but it's fantastic. It's everything you could ask for in a Cote de Rhone. Uh, the alcohol on it is uh, 14% uh, ripe uh, raspberries and uh, kirsch. It's really a just a beautiful bottle, beautiful bottle of wine. Uh, it's 10 bucks. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and, <laughs> order and, and buy a case of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you can, you can't go wrong. I don't know how they make it for that a wine of this quality. But uh, so we've been drinking a lot of this. That's a great bottle. Is it just the um, vintage? In uh, terms 2015, of twenty fifteen was uh, that they just had a lot of grapes and they had a good vintage and. Yeah, 2015 was just an incredible vintage uh, in Europe in general. So if you're out shopping around for wines, it's hard to go wrong if you're looking for a European wine, a French wine, a Spanish wine, a German wine to pick up something from 2015. You know, it's the old it's the old saying, um, you know, uh, what, what is it? Uh, you always say it all the time. Uh, um, a boat, uh, one the tide of one boat. Oh I yeah, can't. yeah, yeah. Um, rising tide I mean, lifts I'll... all boats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, a, lo a lower a a, a uh, decreasing tide also lowers all boats. So you know there. You yes, go. that's true. It's a converse. But in any event, what I'm trying to say is 2015 yeah. is a great. It's it's really a great year all around in Europe, uh, also in Italy. So um, I've been drinking a lot of 2015s, consequently, and um, here's another wine from 2015. It's called. Uh, Aurelio, and um, it's from Maremma. Maremma's on, uh, it's on the uh, Mediterranean Sea, and it's in Tuscany, wow. and uh, this is all Merlot, 
Uh, actually, it, I don't. It might have. Maybe it's not all Merlot. I think it's got. Uh, it's it's got five percent uh, Cabernet Franc in it. Okay. Um, this is not a cheap bottle though. It's about thirty bucks. Uh, the alcohol on it is fourteen five. This is made by um, uh, Valley de Rose, and I mean, I ha- I bought this bottle a while ago, and um, I have a, a bad tendency of buying stuff and then stashing it and then forgetting about it. But this one, I kind of like. Uh, fortunately, I discovered it and didn't leave it lying around too long, because now I can go and buy some more. Um, but uh, this spends a long time in the tank. Uh, it's done, um, I, I believe it's done in the stainless steel tank when it's fermented. And then um, they put it in um, uh, small oak barrels, uh, I think for a year. And, uh, and then they hold on to it for a while, so it's come out. It's a fantastic bottle. If you like Merlot, you'll love this. If you like, um, if you like uh, Pomerols and you can't afford to, to spend the money on them, if you like uh, Santa Miguel Jones, you can't afford to spend the money. This is a nice alternative, um, a Tuscan Merlot. So um, I don't know if you saw, we, um, I've been, uh, did, you, you saw our last post we put up, right? Yes, okay. I did. So there's a, that's kind of, basically that's a breakdown of what I've been drinking lately. <laughs> Right, a lot of different, a lot of different stuff. Oh, it's so, good. Good stuff. So, we almost went down to uh, the Crooked Goat uh, no, yesterday. No. We didn't make. We decided to stay in and save our lungs. Well, yeah, today's the, the day. Up. Today's the day to go if we're gonna go. It's not so. Yeah. Air quality's not as bad, evidently. Yeah, I can see the sun today. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's although it doesn't it looks like it's getting worse, but I think it just be me. But um yeah. Um So the the only other exciting thing that's happened here or for me is I, I have been delighted in following the the elections shenanigans <laughs> that's been going on. <laughs> and that's all I'm gonna say, but it, it does make me chuckle. Yeah, I you know it it does me too. Um, at, it and it is frustrating at the at, at some level as well. I am really, uh, I, I feel like the polarization of people is at its at its penultimate. I like I've never seen, um, like people just don't want to talk about this stuff, and they they don't want to speak rationally about politics at all. And it's you're very much. It feels like very, people are very very much at the polls you know yes. you're either a, you know i'm either i'm either a blue a blue state person or a red state person and that's the way it is and i don't want to talk about anything um our president certainly seems to have understood that i think he understood that a long time ago and capitalized on it um yeah. you know it, i don't know that it worked so well for him in the last election but uh you know we'll see um you know, us here in California, we're just going to go more to the left, um, and that didn't really seem to happen that much in this last election. Um, well, one of the things I, I know I wasn't going to say anything else, but I do have to say one more thing. It's to me, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit alarming that you know one of the things that seems like it's changed as far as when you go to vote is why are we as citizens? making choices on all of these ballot initiatives. Don't we hire the people that are there, the representatives, aren't they the ones who are supposed to hash out all of this stuff and figure out what's going to be done, how the money's going to be spent? That's what they're in office for. Why are they putting all this stuff? I mean, we got like 15 different initiatives on the ballot. Seems like every time we go to vote. What are they doing? Yeah, yeah, spending our <laughs> spending our money and not doing their job. The um, for those of you that don't know what Al's referring to, if you don't live in California, anybody um, can write a, a law effectively, um, and if they get enough signatures, there's a process by which you can actually get um, a specific law or piece of legislation on the ballot. It's an occur- it's a current event. And it affects us all. Yeah, and it, it, you know what effect it affects what we consume. It affects yeah. how much we pay for stuff, and it isn't something to get upset about. It certainly 
um, people who make money telling us about what this stuff happens uh, because it's so easy to go out and report on things these days. What gets attention are is all the controversy and vitriol, which is why we're just seeing more and more of this, like just shouting. And I think, you know, instead of like talking about it, you know, yeah. it's Let's sit you know, down, have a rational uh, discussion. Yeah, just, just because you don't believe what I believe on some subject doesn't make you or me a bad person. Exactly. What it's the? Not, uh, when did that? When did that change corners? That, that's that, in full effect. Yeah. Well, and oh, by the way, all, all the extreme people who like, you know, yeah, you're paying attention to them because they're extreme, and then everybody pays attention, gets everybody worked up. It's a bad cycle. My favorite, my favorite extreme person of late is. I'm gonna. I'm sorry, I'm bringing him up, but I'm gonna have to. Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye. <laughs> That's an example of extreme for me. Yeah. Extreme personality. I, you know, I, I feel um, I, I, uh, I think that guy's maligned too. In just his, uh, you know, he's at, so he actually has something good to say about the Thirteenth Amendment, which I don't think people really realize what that says. But uh, all of this just makes me want to go have a beer and not think about it, or a glass of wine and not think about it. Um. So highly recommended. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's close it out, um, man. We went long this time. We had a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of things to discuss. It's been a while for us. That's for sure. Um, but uh, I think we're back on the horse. Yes. Yes. This is easy. Um, so we'll make it so. As they say. Yeah. All right, Bill. All right. Hey, cheers. Have a good one. Cheers to you, man. All right.